This initiative is huge. It covers countries that together account for approximately half of the world's population and one third of global GDP. And I think many still neglect and ignore the topic. People often reject to believe what they don't understand or what scares them. With Dragonfolio China, you have the unique chance to truly understand a frequently misconceived country and an inevitable shift in the 21st century. Just lean back and enjoy a fascinating journey through China that will astonish and reward you. Right, Niemann Hao guys, and welcome to the next episode of Dragon for Your China. My name is Eric, and today I will talk about reason number four of why you should care more about China. After discussing the influence of Chinese people, AI in China, and the Chinese environment, today I'm going to talk about the ultimate super project on Earth, and that is the One Belt, One Road initiative. And I will first start with a historic introduction because eventually the One Belt, One Road initiative can also be called a revival of the old Silk Road. The ancient Silk Road was founded more than 2000 years ago and was a large trade network that reached from China all over Asia to Europe, with a peak in the Middle Ages where global trade really picked a pace for one of the first times and where all these goods are really flowing from the West to the East and the other way around. Different sources suggest that this network had no real name in the beginning and it was most likely one of my fellow citizens who came up with a name for it and he chose silk because, well, that was one of the most important goods. It was a very important textile for ancient China and a lot of Western powers are really keen on this. So it was one of the major goods traded there. But of course, you also had a lot of other important goods such as animals, tools, artwork, precious stones, spices, whatever you can think of. And of course, today there's a small difference because this time the new Silk Road, if you want to call it like this, is not about camels and scarves anymore, but about railways, container ships and pipelines. And one of the biggest differences apart from the goods to make that really clear is of course that nowadays The maritime routes are way more important as you have really large ships and most of the goods transported all over the planet are transported in container ships these days. And so this is much more important than it was back 2000 years ago. Quite obvious but important to remember. And please don't get confused with the name. So, so far I said One Belt, One Road Initiative. It was actually renamed afterwards. And nowadays, especially in a political context, you normally find the term Belt and Road Initiative. It was first mentioned in 2013 by the Chinese president Xi Jinping, and more concrete plans followed later in 2015. So first of all, why is it so important? Why do I even talk about it? What is the purpose of this network? The main purpose of this network is to link China with other countries in Asia, with Europe, and especially lately with Africa. So you have these four regions, put China separately, then you have Asia, you have Europe and Africa. They're building up this network. And that already shows that there are two continents who are not directly involved. And that is Australia and America, mostly for geographic reasons. I think also at the end you can say political reasons, but especially because of the maritime distance, they're not directly integrated. 
And of course, you can add a few other regions and countries. For instance, I think Scandinavia is not really integrated as they are really in the northern area of Europe. So there are a few other places within this large region which are not included, but most are more or less already actively or passively participating. And to give you an idea again of the size of this network, its vastness reaches from the largest seaport in the world, which is in Shanghai, to the largest port in Europe, which is in Rotterdam. So basically the entire area from eastern China to western Europe and south to Africa is all included. So that was the main purpose and the idea of this network. But why does China come up with such a large initiative? Why do they call this out? Well, there are of course a few more reasons and targets behind it. First of all, they want to simply increase their investments and trade globally. Then they want to strengthen their geopolitical position, especially with their neighbor countries, and increase their security by reducing dependence, for example, on the Strait of Malacca, which is seen as an absolute bottleneck. You also probably have heard of the tensions that China has with other countries, also including the US in the East China and South China Sea. And you can say that the Silk Road is partly seen as a solution for this, as you have other opportunities to transport goods and of course it also can ensure peace between countries, give you a certain freedom and just open new doors for trade and new ways literally for transporting your goods and for exchange. And of course you also have to see that such a large project can cut costs eventually. If you have a lot of small initiatives and projects running everywhere then it's somewhat harder to control, it's more expensive, you have a lot of fixed costs and you have to negotiate every time and it's just overall more expensive than if you have one large project with clear conditions and where you can easily realize the full potential as the way is already kind of paved and you can really drive trade and growth with this project and don't have to overcome all these small barriers which you normally have, especially in the political context. So China wants to have this kind of growth, which they seek. They want to have this going in a smooth way and in a sort of controlled way. And of course, also, they can always say, hey, we have an official large initiative. We are not sneaking behind anything. That's what we do. And you can participate or not. So they want to somehow, of course, also show the power of this. And they want to make clear what is happening here. And of course, if you think about transportation of goods, then you can also say that as these trade routes become more efficient and leaner, it will also decrease transportation time for goods eventually. So that also can save costs and make global trade even faster and more efficient after all. So what has happened so far? I think that's really important for you. You might already be curious and think, okay, I, I, don't see, I don't see it here. What has happened in my country? Well, I think it's important to mention that so far, expectations, hopes and fears that are associated with this project have exceeded the actual implementation. So now it's 2020. This initiative was announced seven years ago. And you have to say that there was not that much that happened so far. Because a lot of things that are going on, I think they would have happened anyways. So this is just one big piece of China's strategy 
And that is what scares a lot of people because there's so much uncertainty with this large program. China never really announced a clear plan or clear numbers. There, of course, every now and then there are some summits and there's some, there's some information that is released. But the main fear is that nobody really knows what China exactly does and what's the overall agenda. And with this, a lot of countries fear that China is somehow, let's say, secretly implementing its plan and getting too large because they're not officially saying, hey, that's the plan, that's the next step. And I personally think, yes, countries must be a bit cautious, but well, China is going to grow anyways. And eventually, at least if you look at the GDP, they will become the strongest economic power in the world. That's going to happen. We cannot prevent that, right? And then I think that a controlled initiative like the modern Silk Road is rather a fair chance for everyone to somehow benefit and participate. One of the major criticisms is the so-called debt trap. So that is that other countries become too much dependent on China and they would spend more than they can afford and also spend money on projects which they actually don't need just because China wants them to do this. And here you have to really see what has happened so far and what's, what, what is probably China's plan. So far, you have to say there are a few very negative examples. I think Sri Lanka is one, one of them where they built up a large harbor, an airport, some infrastructure around this, which is very, very questionable. Then you have some countries like Cambodia, where I would say you have both positive and negative outcomes. But if you see the whole picture and if you analyze most projects, then as a matter of fact, most of these projects are really successful for both sides and brought a lot of benefits. The maybe most popular example is Greece, where China really managed to turn the corner for Greece in many fields. And one of the reasons that Greece somehow is on an uptrend again was the investment and when I say investment, I not just mean money, but also expertise that China brought, especially for the for Piraeus, the uh, harbor in Athens. So China did a pretty good job here. And there are further examples, especially in Africa, where they at least pushed the economies again and triggered certain developments. And that is sometimes important. I mean, don't be naive. Of course, if China does this kind of investments, they expect some kind of return. They don't do this because they're so good people. But I think most nations can benefit from the One Belt and Road Initiative. And I think in the end, it's really each nation's capability that will decide whether they're on the winner or on the loser side. Countries must not be blind. They should really think about, do we need this? Does it make sense for us? But nobody is forcing them to participate. So every country must have its own agenda. But with this flow of this Belt and Road Initiative, many countries can climb up the ladder much faster as they would otherwise. And I also think that we will reach a point soon, if we haven't reached it already, maybe, where you have a certain FOMO. So the fear of missing out, because at one point, you can maybe not afford to refuse the participation in this initiative. And recently, the first Western country who officially joined this initiative was Italy. Of course, Italy also nowadays is in the need of certain support and help. But 
you see that more and more countries rather see the benefits and will say, yes, we're going to join. And as this number of joining countries is increasing, you will have more Western countries. I think one day France and Germany might also officially join because if they have to compete with the rest or if they, let's say, do not seize the opportunities that other countries in Europe have, they're going to fall behind. So that is what, of course, creates a certain pressure on countries to join this initiative. And eventually, that's another reason why countries have a higher dependency on China. But the Belt and Road Initiative is not just about China. It's connecting all countries. It's not like you have just, let's say, a train track going from Germany to China. It's crossing a lot of countries. And that is what sometimes people do not see. This initiative is huge. It covers countries that together account for approximately half of the world's population and one third of global GDP, if not even more in the future, as there are a lot of emerging countries involved. And I think many still neglect and ignore the topic. Not just maybe you and me as a private person, but I think a lot of politicians also underestimate this large potential and what already is happening here. And also, if you look up in media, I think this project doesn't really receive the attention it maybe should have. Not to celebrate it, but to make people aware of it. And we often only read, oh, that's the new Silk Road and so on. And then we see some movies where they first show camels and then later they show a train instead of the camel. But that's not how it's going to be. So we should really understand it. Why do we hear so little about it? Well, I think one is, of course, that we have a certain... American centrism in the West. And then the other reason is what I already mentioned that this initiative is also a kind of dry initiative. So there's no clear brand. And of course, people always want to have numbers and they want to make it uh, spectacular. And if you don't have any clear numbers, then you either have to guess or you just keep silence. And this is why you hear comparable little or you just see certain parts and you don't really get the whole picture. And the fact that China does not release any official plan normally or they don't publish any numbers and targets should not make us believe that China is not determined and ambitious at the same time. I think they have a very rational and systematic approach. But I think there's a certain trend right now that China recently is less and less keen on publishing figures. And I somehow understand this because these figures, first of all, they mean nothing and they don't bring really advantages for them. So you can hold the people responsible afterwards. But as China has such a long-term vision, they just think, why should we release any numbers here? And so my point here is that I think many people still totally underestimate what Xi Jinping announced in Kazakhstan 2013. This is actually, for me, it's not even a... I mean, I use the word project here as well. But for me, this is not really a project. This is a... This is a enormous program it's an infrastructure revolution finally that will certainly boost global gdp it will speed up trade it will create a lot of new jobs it will bring development and hopefully of course stability whether you like it or not this story will likely continue and will change the overall economic balance further it will further lean towards asia because one important aspect that you must keep in mind is this network was built by Asians, not just by Chinese, by Asians, and it is made for Asians. 
So all other countries that are not in Asia have a much harder time and must really be focused on getting their own advantages out of it. At the same time, I believe we should not see it so critical because the Belt and Road Initiative is so much more than just a commercial project. It's not just about increasing efficiency and the flow of goods and services. And it was exactly the same in the past. It's not just a trade network. It's also about intellectual exchange, cultural exchange and communication. So at the same time, if we use it the right way, it's also an excellent opportunity for political, cultural, educational and ecological improvement among many countries and a chance to integrate a lot of systems and to find a common way in a lot of areas. Looking at current tensions in the world, I think none of these positive developments is needed less than another. And today again, I want to end up this episode with a short quote. Collaboration is not about cluing together existing egos. It's about the ideas that never existed until everyone entered the room. And that's it for this episode. If you want to support me in my channel, please leave me a 5-star rating on your podcast app and share it with other folks. I think it's a really important topic, so more people should listen to it. Thanks for that, and I'll see you in the next episode.